The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast coming to you from O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my two friends, Chris Dow. They can't all be zingers. And Minty of the Booth. A rat's dessert is a stinking shit. <laughs> and we are chatting about our very favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Did you know we have a website? Go to o3c.games and you will find a site stuffed to the gills with reviews, articles, think pieces, as well as a full archive of all of our podcast episodes. We'd love you to check it out. We'd love you to get involved, comment, share, all the usual stuff. It really helps us out. We also have a Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we accept a monthly rolling donation via patreon.com slash O3C games. Or if you prefer to just chuck a one-off donation to say, thanks very much, that episode really made me laugh, then you can go to O3C.games slash support to pledge any value of any pence to us via a lovely PayPal link. Hope to see you there. Find inflation the old-fashioned way by spending less money. Check out the HyperX store at Amazon.com to find great Prime Day deals on July 12th and 13th. Stock up on new gaming gear so you'll be equipped for the new launches and content drops. Mark your calendars and set your alarms. Deals like this won't stick around long. So we're gathered, as is our way during this season, to talk about our top 100 lists in a new light by trying to fit in some new games into our top 100 lists because we've played games that we want to put in there and they weren't in our top 100 originally because we hadn't played them. Gosh darn, it's my turn this week. I'm going to be telling you all about a game that I've played in the last sort of two or three years that is going to go into my top 100 favourite video games of all time list and I'm also going to be selecting a game to leave my list because I, unlike Chris Dow, play by the rules. <laughs> Never again. Never again. But before we get onto that, and I assure you it'll be worth the wait, we're going to talk about what we've been playing this week. And I, I'm going to kick us off uh, because uh, I'm going to be talking at length later about more crap. So here's some starter crap. Filler crap. Top and tails. Top and tails. Yeah. Arse and elbows. <laughs> so I've continued to play Grindstone. Good. Uh, I am beyond the point I got to, I think, the first time round I was playing the game. Because there's a whole bunch of new mechanics and stuff that I don't really remember. And that's obviously brilliant. Brilliant, great fun. Continues to be incredibly satisfying. Incredibly enjoyable. So bravo to those people there. I'm going to keep playing it. I did look up to see how many levels are actually in the game now. And there's a lot. <laughs> and uh, I don't think I'm even halfway through. So there's there's plenty more grinding to be done, which will be fun. And speaking of grinding, the main news of my week is that the massive DLC expansion Sunbreak has arrived for Monster Hunter Rise and I've been having a wonderful time getting back into that game I think I said a week or two ago that I booted Rise back up again to try and sort of get my hunting digits back into action and I'm I'm really really glad that I've slipped back into you know the gameplay loop as quickly as as I have done my muscle memory has a lot to thank for that but it's, it's been great just to get back into the game again I mean it is at its heart a very simple gameplay loop but it's always satisfying to play and now there's new environments new quests new monsters new armor some new mechanics loads of new stuff to get my head around it's just absolutely superb 
And I also got to play some co-op with an actual friend as well, which is something that I, I never actually got round to doing properly in my 70-odd hours playing Rise, because I came to it a lot later than my friends who who had it. But me and friend of the podcast, Casper, have been playing quite a few sessions together over the last sort of few evenings slash afternoons, because he's in America. And it is just riotous fun. Like, the actual gameplay doesn't really change whether you're playing with, with random people online or a friend. There's now a new mechanic in the game where you can summon, like, AI companions to do the, the single-player missions, which is quite cool. But what was really good fun to do was debrief with Casper after our hunts, talk about strategies to employ for, like, the harder missions and hatch plans and all, all kinds of things, just chatting around the hunts. And it just, it, yeah, it just made it so much more enjoyable. And also, I learnt so much from him about so many parts of the game that I hadn't really understood that much so like within the space of a couple of hours I was in just a much much stronger position which was great and we've continued to compare builds and weapons and all kinds of other strategies in between co-op sessions as well and yeah it's just I mean it's another incredibly fun part of the game just having that sort of meta meta game and oh it's just great the new monsters are fantastic I got the the new amiibo for the Malzino dragon who's quite cool sat on my shelf with my magnum Allo and my palamute and i'm just gonna very very happily keep playing until i've done everything i think in the game why not it's just great fun i'm still incredibly impressed at how well it runs on the switch but no issues whatsoever no matter how big and chaotic the fights get like the online systems continue to be outstandingly easy to use and straightforward and that's marvelous unfortunately because the game is by far the most popular sort of Monster Hunter game in terms of like having active players. It does mean that the ratio of idiots to, to actual, you know, sort of fun people to play with is alarmingly high. Uh, and that can <laughs> totally derail a hunt. Unfortunately, it is a bit of a group activity. So I remember that was actually why I stopped playing the game the first time round because like I'd got to I sort of finished pretty much all, all of the game and there was a handful of like event quests that were like on the hardest difficulty that I hadn't done and every time I tried to jump into an online session it didn't matter how well I was playing uh, that didn't seem to have much effect on the success of the mission because it like I said it could be very easily derailed but I think me and Casper have, have worked out good combination for the two of us and I think that because a lot of the missions have you really do need lots of people, otherwise you're just going to get taken out. You couldn't do them on your own. They're not designed to be done like that. But I reckon we could do them, just the two of us. Just the two of us. Exactly. We can hunt it if you try. That's the song. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I still can't recommend the game highly enough. Although it did take me, famously, several attempts to get into the series. I am continually glad that I that I am into it. It's just really, really great fun. What a game. Great game. Love it. Minty, what have you played this week? Okay, so after last week's uh, placeholder, I am thrilled to announce that I have now actually played Dark Souls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as you will have seen on our YouTube channel there. And do you know what? It was tricky. It was tough. But uh, yeah, it was pretty good fun. I think it's going to be a slow burner because um, I need to figure out the uh, the control setup and actually understand how dodging works how parrying works just how controlling the game works i think before i start to really um, enjoy it and start to make some big progress there i think i'm on i'm on a roof at the moment and there's this big old like bull looking thing mm, like jumps out demon. and it attacks you the taurus demon he's there he's the first sort of proper big big boss 
of the game. Okay. You get that first sort of, uh, he's called the Asylum Demon, right at the very start of the game. Yes. Which uh, is very much a, uh, a sort of a tutorial boss, mm-hmm. as it were. But yeah, the Taurus Demon is, uh, is yeah, that's the first sort of big, big challenge. Yeah, which I'm excited to, to break the back of, uh, along with the rest of the game there. You took to it incredibly well, I must say. Like, mm. it took me... I reckon somewhere between eight and ten hours to actually beat the Taurus Demon, and you've you've got there. I mean, I've got I've got there. Yeah, let's see what the next six hours are like. It will not take you that long to beat it. I can tell you that because you've learnt the enemy patterns and the enemy layouts, and you've played it exactly how it's meant to be played, which <laughs> which is uh, is learning and getting better. Uh, it was really good fun to watch you play it. Good, so I'm glad. And you worked out how to uh, how to run in the game which is something that took chris 20 hours to do shut up elden ring (laughs) i mean please give me credit that i beat the first boss of elden ring without being able to run can i have a a, just a small nod at least to that yeah (laughs) and to be fair to you like your character even if you aren't holding the run button does look like they're running exactly it's that slow like shit yourself jog isn't it at all times yeah the Kirby jog. <laughs> uh, so that's that. Dark Souls. Started playing that. Having having fun with that. What I've really been playing though this week that's that's really been uh, taking up most of my time is I have finally beaten a Doom game on the hardest difficulty setting. What well a boy. Done. Yeah. I beat Doom 64 on Watch Me Die. I posted my accomplishment on Twitter, and, and I got much adulation, you did? which I'm very happy about. Uh, thank you for all your support. I then went and did the Lost Levels on Watch Me Die as well. And I really love the Lost Levels because, as far as I know, they were created specifically for this remake, this re-release of, of Doom 64. It's just a six-level, six or seven-level pack that that looks to bridge the gap between uh, the yesteryear games bridge that gap between those games and doom 2016 doom 3 to doom 63 i assume oh yes yes you're quite right yes yeah interesting that doom 3 came out after doom 64 where's the rest of them i know right i blame george lucas star wars young indiana jones all that nonsense (laughs) (laughs) yeah non-linear storytelling like just you don't start a book halfway through folks come on now so I've beaten Doom 64, the main campaign on Watch Me Die. I've beaten the Lost Levels on Watch Me Die. I don't quite know what I'm going to do now because that's the only game that I've ever really wanted to play as of late. Because it's fun, I'm good at it, and it's incredibly gratifying. What I might do when it comes to playing it next, I've got the uh, the quote-unquote fun levels to do. Things like Playground, Cat and Mouse, Panic, that sort of thing. They sort of... They're not levels that are attached to the main story. Like You're not going through a ruined research facility. You're not going through hell, that sort of thing. They're just fairly nondescript arenas where they're basically just slaughter maps or you're being chased around a maze by a cyber demon, that sort of thing. That's the kind of fun that they're going for. I might see if I can do those on the hardest difficulty next, but I do remember playing them when I when I first started and first got the game, and they they did put me over their knee collectively, I have to say, but I have gotten a lot better at the game, so maybe maybe I'll turn the tables there. Um, I think that's it, really. I mean, once I've done that, what am I going to do afterwards? Maybe just sort of try and beat it by starting every level with a pistol. I don't know. That's the classic, isn't it? Yeah. Pistol percent. <laughs> pistol town. Yeah. Yeah, you'll pistol over it. Of course I will. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's that for console games. What have I been playing on the old tablet here? 
I am playing an idle game called Grimoire. It's just, yeah, make numbers go up, but instead of like all the other scenarios that we have, like adventure capitalist, where you're building a big old empire or you're collecting little bits of antimatter, on this one, you are deciphering like one of those classic sort of human skin bound tomes to uncover mysterious and eldritch secrets. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. And as I was playing it, getting all my spells together, I was figuring out the best way to get the transcription rate of the Grimoire up as high as I could. The classic stuff that we love to do on our on our idle games there. Uh, my wife did, look, did turn over to me because I was playing it in bed and she said, oh, you're playing another one of those games. Like, they just look so boring. <laughs> it looks like you're doing work. And to be honest... I cannot falter for her spot-on analysis. Mm-hmm. I think it is just the steady drip of serotonin watching the big numbers go bigger that draws me to them. It's it's just low input, but still quite satisfying. Like having a big lunch. That's it, yeah. yeah. Especially if you haven't made the big lunch yourself. A big lunch delivered fresh to your table. Mm. Yeah, or buying one of those sandwiches that has like the extra half in the triple sandwich. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, tri- oh, yeah. yeah. Now you're talking. You think you're just buying one sandwich, open up, oh, it's one and a half sandwiches. Oh, boy. Oh, that's put a smile on my face. Chris, what have you been playing? Oh, boy. I'm still going with everybody's golf. I'm still going with Pokemon Picross. Of course you are. When I initially wrote these notes, uh, it was the weekend and nothing in particular had happened in either game. And then on Sunday evening, I had a five-hour session in everybody's golf. (laughs) And I can now say I have sunk my three condors. Absolutely incredible. And that means the most challenging part of the game is largely finished. And the remaining tasks are all just a bit softer. They'll take a bit of time, but they're quite casual. I can just do them here and there over the next few months if I want to. The hole-in-one grind was so tough... I could feel the spirit draining from my body in real time. <laughs> like, they're only possible on a handful of courses, like I mentioned before. But even then, they're only possible with very specific conditions. And every day, every course refreshes. It scrambles variables like the wind conditions, the time of day, the tee placement, the hole placement. And that meant that most days I'd check in, I'd see that one or more of these variables meant the challenge was basically impossible for the setup I had. And then I'd just play something else. But on Sunday, early on in the day, I realised that the stars had aligned. And I thought, if I don't do this now, it could be another two, three weeks before I get a chance. The fact that it still took five hours is evidence of just how particular these shots need to be. (laughs) And and when I sunk the third and final condor at about 12.30am on a school night, (laughs) the the sense of relief was truly palpable. (laughs) Like I, I streamed the last two hours to an audience of no one. I just wanted a record of hopefully being able to do it. And and when it goes in, I mutter to myself like, well, that's fucking hit the roof or something because I have to bounce over a little hut. (laughs) And then when it goes in, it takes me a couple seconds to even register what has happened. And then I, full on drop to my knees <laughs> so yeah. I'll, I'll share that on our social media channels at some point soon because it was a momentous occasion please do please do that is wonderful yeah you should be proud of yourself <laughs> in a way yeah in a way <laughs> <laughs> oh 12 right. it's a par 5 See, that's now not the middle. Yeah, not the middle. Oh. Muddle building. Oh. Lucky 
Other than golf, I've played a few other games and they're disparate enough that I think they're a very me selection, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it will do. Firstly, last weekend I picked up the recent Switch port of the Destruction Derby racing game Wreckfest. Oh yeah. It popped up in one of the Nintendo Directs a fair while ago now uh, and I kind of had like, you know, a passing interest. But it's now launched months after all other platform releases and I'd always been pretty dubious as to whether it would even run on the Switch because it's a game all about physics interactions and real-time destruction and, and huge fields of, of competitors. But I can happily report it's a very faithful translation of the game and it runs at like a locked 30 frames per second. Every car in a race gradually falls to pieces over the course of an event and the Switch hardly misses a beat. You've got trackside objects you know, they're all interactable. Tires are going flying, fences falling down. It's just very impressive that it's running again on, on like 10-year-old mobile tech now. Yeah. The game is is a less obvious technical showcase for the device than something like The Witcher 3 or Doom <laughs> or Dying Light. But when you drill down, it's no less impressive because it's still a piddly piece of mobile hardware. And I just can't believe it is able to render anything <laughs> like this comfortably in 2022. Most bizarrely, Wreckfest has become George's new favourite game this week for some reason. <laughs> and she watched me do an event where the sole purpose was just to wreck a full field of competitors whilst driving like a souped up lawnmower. And at that time she was like, I'd quite like to have a go. And since then, every night has been playing like a series of races each evening she's home. And I'd never pegged Georgia as a racing game fan or a Destruction Derby fan, but she gleefully smashes through packs of cars and... Every time she finishes a series of races, even if she hasn't won them, might have only made little in-game progress, she always thanks the game by saying something like, I had a lot of fun playing those ones. <laughs> and I just, I just really appreciate that, that kind of like plaintive handshake to say like, good job, game. That's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, we've alluded before that games are an incredibly broad church these days, and it just brings me great joy to see people enjoy stuff. Doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter yeah. what games they are. I just really love it. Another game I played, and in this case finished, because it was only short, was the newly released free parody game called The Looker on Steam. Oh, yes. And it is a, a one-person developed first-person puzzle game created as a send-up of The Witness, hence the kind of, uh, you know, title. It's only about one or two hours start to finish. It's really worth your time. One Steam review reads, for people who hate The Witness, for people who love The Witness, and especially for people who hate and love The Witness. <laughs> and I feel like that's really spot on. Like, it, it kind of appeals from all angles. I felt playing it, some of the jokes are maybe a bit too personal in a way, like very targeted towards Jonathan Blow himself. And, you know, love him or hate him as a figure, I think the looker just works better when it's aiming a little bit more broadly at, you know, or at least mm. finding humour in, in the mechanics of The Witness or the world of The Witness rather than kind of more personal digs. But there's some really good jokes and subversions that revolve around like the puzzles, around The Witness's audio logs, around the environmental puzzles, around its hidden ending... And, and most impressively, it does all of this whilst remaining a pretty decent implementation of The Witness's simple but gradually subverted core gameplay. 
every puzzle and interaction in the looker requires you to draw a simple line from a start point to an end point with like free mouse control. And just like The Witness, it revels in kind of taking this immediately understandable concept and then running with it in quite creative ways. Because it's only short, not every sequence or puzzle lands. And, you know, because it is only an hour or two, the game is never going to ape the full Metroid brainier framework of The Witness fully. But I think it's a real success and I enjoyed it for what it was. And there were at least two or three jokes that I laughed out loud, even though it was just me on my own playing it in the <laughs> evening. So I, I think that's a pretty, pretty good review, to be honest. I would, I would definitely recommend it for zero pence if you've got a PC that can run it. Finally, a tougher game to talk about. I played through or, or rather read, I guess, the, the visual novel called Sire no Uta. It's one of those games I'd seen come up in conversation a fair few times over the years, especially when I was looking for shorter visual novel experiences, because I wanted something that was decent, but not that I'd have to spend 40 hours playing and reading over you know, a number of nights. I just don't really have the time. Whereas this one is, again, like three, four hours done. With any of these games, they're difficult to discuss and explain, because if you lean too much on the plot and writing, you risk spoiling the game's twists for everyone else. And this in particular is very much a game about its story and its twists. Like, it's described as a horror romance. It takes heavy inspiration from Lovecraftian writing, but it still uses a lot of the tropes of the visual novel genre, which obviously is going to turn some people off immediately, even if they were drawn in by the creepy theming of the whole thing. You know, you have to be in the mood. You have to kind of appreciate that it's going to be a very different type of game. In some cases, it's not going to be very interactive at all, but it's, you know, an experience that is something people enjoy. The main protagonist in this thing survives a serious accident right at the start, When he comes to, he finds that the world around him appears warped and everything he sees is kind of wrapped in decaying flesh and all the people he once knew have morphed into these disgusting creatures. He soon meets this character named Sire, who appears to him as a normal, unblemished human, and then the game sort of unfurls and and spirals from there. A lot of the discourse around this game online leans on the game having like erotic scenes, but I think it's worth comparing a visual novel like this to TV or film or books, because in those cases, no one bats an eyelid anymore when there are sex scenes that are used to further a plot. But for some reason, when they're used in games, and it doesn't really matter what game, we still get the same lazy (laughs) sort of response, regardless of, of how they're deployed or if they have like a proper narrative intention. I think some of Sayano Uta's sex scenes clearly are trying to lean into sort of the the 18 plus lineage of these sorts of visual novels in offering an element of titillation. But because of the context of the whole story, none of them are played out in a way that is arousing. And I think that's done on purpose. Like they've used kind of the, the tropes of the visual novel, but really subverted it because of the thematic context they're played out in. And they often feel quite uncomfortable, but most of them seem really integral for the game's story to work as it does the dialogue and the narration of these scenes often furthers elements of the plot as well so you know as much as it might make you feel a bit uncomfortable i think that is the point that's why they're there what i'm broadly trying to say is just sex can have a place in games just as it does in other media and it doesn't automatically make something lowbrow or or low art but as an overall content warning you do need quite a strong stomach to get through this game but it was interesting for me to play what is ostensibly a horror game but completely devoid of jump scares. You know, it's a horror story. It has an unsettling atmosphere, but nothing is going to jump out and go boo, because I I can't handle that. (laughs) The game's got three endings. You can play through them all in a few hours, and I do think it's a game worth looking into, even if you're not really interested in playing it directly. Like, I'm sure there's a full playthrough on YouTube if you want to do it that way, but regardless, my quest to know just a little bit about every single avenue in games and game culture continues. (laughs) Another thing ticked off the list. (laughs) We can say I've played a... uh, a horror romance visual novel with some uncomfortable sex scenes. There you go. That's been my week. 
Just wanted to let that sit there. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall I tell you what my amendment is this week? Yes, please, Jonathan yeah. Dunst. It's a banger. I believe it. I never thought a game would hook me quite as much as The Binding of Isaac. And honestly, I never thought The Binding of Isaac could hook me as much as The Binding of Isaac. I mean, certainly not outside of, you know, like the casual, gentle life sim of a game like Animal Crossing or one of those horribly addictive freemium farming apps. There's like a granular focus in games like Binding of Isaac where you build your knowledge of the game's systems, items, mechanics, levels, enemies and bosses and then calculate an according strategy to make your run more successful the next time round. And that's the genius of the roguelike structure, if, if it's done right. Now, I never knew what a roguelike was before Binding of Isaac. In fact, uh, it still took me a fair while to understand that genre, and even longer to appreciate why it worked and what was interesting about it. I've spoken before about how I famously watched Minty playing the Binding of Isaac on his laptop and boldly stated that I didn't see anything about that game that would interest me at all. <laughs> how many hours in are we now? Well, you know, fast forward literally thousands of hours later and obviously, obviously I'm a huge fan and I'm so glad that I did, you know, give it a go on 3DS and uh, got my head around its, its basic premise. I was absolutely sold and absolutely hooked as, as soon as I really kind of understood what the game was. Similar to what I said in my last amendment about how since Hollow Knight, the marketplace seemed to flood with Metroidvania Souls-like games and, and likewise in the wake of the success of Binding of Isaac, it seemed that roguelike games were a dime a dozen on the eShop and other digital storefronts. It's, a, I mean, a cynical point of view could say that it's a lazy way to bulk out a smaller game, uh, an approach obviously that would certainly appeal to indie developers with smaller, tighter budgets. And my amendment today is actually going to be the fourth roguelike entry into my top 100 after Binding of Isaac, which, I mean, to be honest, after the Repentance update may well be a few places higher on my revised list than it was in my original top 100. Then we had Returnal make a cheeky appearance early on in this season, and more recently Hades broke into my top 50. And there are several other roguelikes that could be in my list, like... I don't know, Slay the Spire, Spelunky, Children of Mortar, they were all absolutely fantastic games. Uh, Undermine, Moonlighter, they were really decent games. I haven't put enough time into Loop Hero, which I've, I've started and is extremely promising. But I didn't want my list to overrun with this subgenre, and these four roguelikes are, I think, a very good overview of this genre. So, what is the missing piece appearing today? It's Dead Cells. We knew it. We knew it. <laughs> yeah, it was always coming. It was always coming. And it took me a while to get around to playing Dead Cells because I didn't really... Well, I didn't really understand what the game was until I played it. And it, it had been billed as a Souls-like Metroidvania roguelike with gorgeous pixel art, which makes it by default an ideal game by present-day Jonathan standards. <laughs> I thought it was just a standard Metroidvania. I didn't know it was a roguelike. I was still in my infancy of understanding that genre and almost certainly knowing me, I would have said, well, I'm not, you know, roguelike, it's, it's perfect in Binding of Isaac, so why would I look at another one? In the same way that I would have said, look at that game, what's the point? Before uh, playing it and loving it. But I saw a physical copy of Dead Cells in game and it was on sale and I thought, you know what, I'll give it a whirl. And the first thing that really struck me about the game was just how incredible it felt to play. I've played plenty of side-scrolling action games, 
many of them were very satisfying to play, but nothing felt quite as fluid as this, with movement and combat weaving seemingly seamlessly into each other, whilst also offering you pinpoint precision to execute all of your mechanics. And the variety of options of how to do this, depending on whatever of the hundreds of swords and shields, spears, bows, abilities, traps, items, bombs, boots, you know, depending on whatever combination of those you find and decide to go with, there's an incredible video out there that breaks down exactly how the developers got this beautiful balance of movement feeling just right. And uh, you get like a, a little peek behind the curtain and see the, the sort of AI enhanced buffer zone I guess when it comes to like platforming and the slight forgiveness that the game invisibly offers you to keep you moving with momentum it's absolutely extraordinary I'll put a link to it on our social media when this episode goes out because you've absolutely got to watch it it's an extraordinary example of the level of attention to detail from the developers motion twin that in my mind make them quite possibly the most attentive developer when it comes to understanding the player and I'll say quickly before I delve into talking about the rest of the game that the, the pixel art is absolutely stunning. The level of colour and design and animation in every single biome, enemy, boss and moment is glorious to look at. Soundtrack, also absolutely brilliant, with tracks that don't get old no matter how many times you hear them, which is crucial for a roguelike because you're going to hear you know these tunes hundreds of times, especially like the early levels. And like most roguelike structures, you can pick a route through the game, depending on which biomes and bosses you want to take on, meaning you can shake things up a bit every run, or if you want to target specific enemies and bosses to unlock, you know, various things. But the general structure is three stages and a boss, two stages and another boss, a third stage and a final boss. And originally the game had, I think it's 15 biomes and four bosses spread across those different chapters. But here's the key to why this game is so glorious and generous, is the developers have continued to support the game with a whole sweep of paid and free DLC to expand the game. And now it's got an additional seven or eight biomes. There's at least half a dozen more bosses. There's dozens of new weapons and items. So many mechanics that enhance the player experience. And, and, and this is what I really mean by Motion Twin being an attentive developer and also a very, very smart developer too, because something that The Binding of Isaac suffered massively with was bloat. And with each additional update and iteration and DLC and patch upon patch upon booster pack upon patch that sent basically the balancing of the game all a squiffle <laughs> and it literally literally took many many years for things to level their way out into a satisfying total package which is what finally happened with repentance but motion twin have, have always had one eye on the ball when expanding dead cells and only ever introduced new aspects of the game that genuinely improve it mechanics such as like a practice arena to trial different weapon combinations and boss battles without consequence daily runs and leaderboards to sort of you know keep things interesting if you've got a little bit bored of doing regular runs different outfits to spice things up custom game options so that you can limit the weapons and stuff that spawn in a run so that you can tailor the game a bit more to how you want to play it new biomes that shake the variety up new bosses that keep you on your toes new enemies so that you don't get too familiar with certain levels there's even been crossover content with other games like Hyperlight Drifter, Guacamele, Blasphemous, and Hollow Knight. It's great stuff that doesn't get in the way of the game at all, but are just lovely little extra touches for those who know where they come from. They've always had the player as the priority, thinking about what they would need to make their experience more enjoyable, deeper, richer, more personal. 
and in the case of this latest update, more accessible. Because what they've done with this new update called Breaking Barriers, it's nothing short of revolutionary in the gaming industry. They truly are breaking down the barriers for all players to experience the game on a level playing field and putting the freedom of choice into the player's hands directly to decide what that means for their individual experience. So you can now customise the difficulty of the game based on reducing you know, enemy damage and trap damage, enemy health. You can slow the window down so that you can parry more easily and you can slow trap speed down. You can have level checkpoints and set an amount of lives so that if you die, you don't entirely reset your progress from that run. You can change whether you want the map to be revealed or not. You can turn on auto attacking, auto door opening, change the controls to whatever you want. You can change the font type and size, the interface size, the transparency of that, change the color setups to make things more clear, have icons displays to help understand different effects. You can change the intensity of particle effects, change the balancing of the audio. They basically hand complete control of the game over to you and say, you play the game how you want to play it. It's good. And not only do these options cater for players of all type, it also caters for all types of player moods as well. Sometimes you want a challenge, sometimes you don't. Personally for me, I found myself hitting my head against a wall trying to complete the game on two boss cells, which is, is sort of how they do New Game Plus, where you beat a run, you can then apply a boss cell, which makes the game a lot harder, and then if you complete it on that, you can put two on all the way up to five. And the option to only go back as far as the start of a particular bio makes me want to give two boss cell runs another crack. And I wouldn't feel like a failure for doing it that way at all, because they haven't put achievements on the other side of the assist mode. It doesn't stop you unlocking things. They don't put a big old dunce asterisk next to your <laughs> scores. They just allow you to enjoy the game as much as you want to. And when it's a game that has as much to enjoy in it as Dead Cells, that's just an extraordinary thing. Like, I think it's a system that's fast being employed across all media at the moment, trying to find ways of handing control over to the consumer, but trying to do that in a way that doesn't compromise the vision of the creator. If you want people to get to the same endpoint, the way they get there might look very, very different, depending on the type of person they are, the type of access needs they have, or like I said, just, just the changing whims of, of how people are feeling on a particular day. You could take a book like, say, a Charles Dickens book, and somebody could read that, and they get to the end point, they know what's happened in the story. I could read the summary on Wikipedia, and, yep, yeah, my experience wouldn't have been as rich, but I've still got to the same end point. And levelling the playing field so that all people can do that, I think, is such an important thing, not just in terms of accessibility, but just in terms of being able to consume more content. You know, if I've got the time to play a 50-hour game, great, I'll have a fantastic time. If I don't, if it's a choice of playing, like, a reduced four-hour version of the game or not playing it at all, I'd love to give it a go, you know? I mean, for completionists like me, I don't like to give a game a try. I like to know that I'm going to start it and finish it. But yeah, like I said, I see this sort of thing happening across all media and it's really refreshing to see it happen in games. And I think there's times for games to be challenging. We've spoken about this before, you know. I think that the challenge in something like Dark Souls is really important because the enjoyment of that game comes from learning and the only type way you can learn is by failing in those games. And so I think that's really, really great. But it would be really, really useful if, say, you got to a boss that you just couldn't beat. It didn't matter that you knew its attacks, you just physically couldn't beat it. It'd be great if you could just go, 
uh, can't can I just can I just uh, beat this? And it go yeah all right go on then because at that point it's not going to change your experience of the game. The developers aren't going to go ah oh, yeah but unless you actually beat it after five hundred attempts you know unless you actually know you've done that you're not going to enjoy the rest of the game or you're not going to get the same thing out of the game as as all the people that managed to beat it after five hundred attempts or something like that. And I, so I think this is such an important thing to happen in games, especially as a game that has been advertised as a challenging game as a hard but fair game by their own admission you know that means something very different to everybody because like dead cells like something like returnal it doesn't have that sort of chance that binding of isaac has where you might just find an overpowered weapon or item that would basically make the rest of your run a foregone conclusion it is a game that does require you to think about things and find a build that works and I really enjoyed that side of it you know I, I enjoyed finding the right combination of weapons that worked well for me and getting my skills up to snuff so I feel like a proper badass when taking on the levels on a high difficulty but it's great that they've got so many so many additional layers to the game because it means that there's sort of like an adjustable ceiling so that the very 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 best players can keep finding a challenge for as long as they can but there are certain things in the game that until now have been locked behind the very very hardest bits of the game that I've never seen and I've never played and I'm really excited that a little helping hand has appeared to aid me in getting there and much like the the co-op mode that's been added in Returnal the Breaking Barriers update to Dead Cells takes some of that arrogant edge off of the game that demands you get good or go away people still turn their nose up at summoning co-op characters in From Software's games but it's a valid and joyous part of the game that can help take the edge off otherwise total roadblocks for many, many players. I'm not saying that, yeah, an easy mode has to be in every game, because like I said, learning through a game can be part of the game, and hopefully that's something Minty is going to continue to discover playing Dark Souls. But I'm so, so glad that Motion Twin have taken this step that they have done in making the game more accessible than any game I've ever seen and by enriching the player experience exponentially with each iteration of the game that they released and never diluting the beautiful impact and stunning experience that the game gives you it is just an absolute masterpiece from from top to bottom it is genuinely I think a flawless game it's also peerless as an example of all of the genres that it represents and just as a video game in all Having said that, it's, it's not my number one game, uh, and it's probably not. <laughs> it's probably not going above Binding of Isaac in my list either, and, and, I, and for, for reasons that I can't even really explain, given the fact that it's, I think it's a better game and a stronger game. But it is certainly going really, really high up my list. It's, it's going in the top fifteen, and I think it's going to sit comfortably on a chair made of Hollow Knight so I think Hollow Knight will be one place below it around about the 15 mark it's absolutely extraordinary and I'm, I'm such a huge fan of the developers and the way that they've worked listening to the community not doing fan service but by really thinking and challenging what they think of the game seeing what other people think of the game and working to constantly find you know that point of balance to, to give everybody a fantastic experience I do need to get rid of a game. Yes, you do. And I think I'm going to get rid of Overcooked this week, which is a brilliant game. It's I think it's a brilliantly designed game as a co-op experience. It's provided me with some hugely enjoyable moments, like with you, Chris, and playing yeah. it with my wife as well. 
But in, in this sort of revelation that I've had of sort of looking at my list as a self-portrait, I don't think Overcooked really adds much fidelity to that image. So I love it, but it's going. Because I think that there's a better combination of games that create a, a more accurate representation of who I am as a person and a player. So I'm thrilled to have Dead Cells in my list. If you haven't played it, play it. Like, I understand that it may not be for everyone, but hopefully this new update and all of the incredible options that are in this game can help newcomers ease their way into it to discover it at whatever pace they want and fully appreciate everything the game has to offer. I realise I didn't talk that much about how the game actually works or <laughs> talk about its amazing story and lore and the amazing and witty writing that's in there. So go and discover all of that for yourself, please. It is extraordinary fair play it is really good isn't it isn't it just i i love dead cells a lot we had a great time playing it in tandem and like i know that you favored very very different sort of builds to to what i did i found a very very satisfying happy combination of a particular weapon and a particular ability it was the assassin's dagger and the phaser wasn't it so you could phase behind them stun them and then hit them from behind for triple damage i remember that's absolutely right yeah there's a, a mutation mutations are additional abilities you can you can sort of stack in your build as well that reduces the cooldown of an item use upon killing somebody, which basically meant that the speed at which the phase ability would reset meant that I could basically just constantly backstab, phase, backstab, phase, backstab, phase, and it was just oof, oof, beautiful, to a point, until enemies started being introduced into the game that had spikes on their back. So if I tried to attack them from behind, I'd get hit. Or enemies that had different different attacks and different movement patterns so it constantly kept me on my toes as well you haven't played it have you chris no i think it's a game that with the accessibility options you mentioned today i'm more likely to give a go at some point yeah because it was one that i know took a level of skill and that initial kind of period of dedication just to you know the classic phrase you always use to break the back of it to to get used to how it plays and that's the bit i often really struggle with and it's it's been the roadblock to i guess quite a few kind of roguelike or roguelite games because even as much as i've enjoyed and really love the binding of isaac that's why it's on my list i'm terrible at it (laughs) and the amount of the game i've seen in terms of like the full content has got to be less than a percent (laughs) you know (laughs) Um, i'm basing my review of that game off such a small small window into it Uh, and i feel that I always do these games a disservice when I can't give them enough time to not get good at them necessarily, but get okay enough to kind of see a bit more of it. So if this kind of update allows a bit more of that to say like, you know, you can dial it back a bit, you can kind of make a bit more progress. I think I'm more likely to at some point pick it up and and give it a play. The brilliant thing about it is that you can make those changes as you go as well. They're accessible from the pause menu, not from like before you start a run. So you don't have to commit to anything Lovely stuff. Like if you get stuck in Elder Scrolls or something and you're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to whack the slider down to easy for a minute so I can just beat this dragon and then put it back up again or, or not <laughs> and continue to just kill all the dragons with, with, a, with a pea shooter. <laughs> so there we go. That was my amendment this week and it was Dead Cells. Have you played Dead Cells? Tell us about it if you have talk to us on social media we are at o3c games on everything tell us what you're playing tell us if you've played any of the games that we've talked about this week and what you think of them feel free to send us suggestions of what you'd like us to cover in future episodes and all sorts of things we just we'd love to engage with you so please do that if you go to our website o3c.games as chris said you can find our support page where you can find a link to our patreon if you 
want to pledge a monthly allotment of money to us in exchange for some fantastic perks like deleted scenes and outtakes, full bonus episodes, access to the Discord server, we'd be hugely appreciative of the support. Yeah, there's loads of other great stuff on our website as well, so have a browse. You can reach out to us individually as well. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I'm at Chaz underscore Hodges. I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next week where Minty will be amending his list even further. I can't wait. Could be anything. <laughs> there we go. Stop. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Previously on Chat of the Wild. But what we have to do is there are these seeds in these little holes that we have to put specific water on Mm -hmm. to make them grow up. And we get the Mario uh, sound effect for the vines going up. What what exactly is the sound effect for Mario that they use? (laughs) Can you guys just do that simultaneously again? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Chat of the Wild. Breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games, one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network. For every episode of No More Whoppers that you listen to, we will send you a 25-cent coupon for participating Krogers. How many Krogers are participating? None, but you're still getting the coupon. And it's like 25 cents in 1985 dollars. Right, so today that's like... 28 cents. No More Whoppers, take that to the bank and smoke it. On the HyperX Podcast Network and nomorewhoppers.com. Prime Day is coming. Check out the HyperX store on Amazon.com to find great Prime Day deals on July 12th and 13th. Stock up on the latest gaming gear from HyperX, so you'll be ready for all the new launches and content drops this summer. Mark your calendars and set your alarms. Deals like this won't be around long. 